let's just come and pray. And Father, we thank you today that with all our human weakness and frailty and all the, the wrong decisions sometimes that we think that we make, Father, how we thank you that you are still, as our hearts reach towards you, that you're still able to take us and to lead us in your way. Lord, speak to each of our hearts now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just uh, begin this morning by telling you, sharing with you, uh, a true guidance story out of the records of a well-known Bible college in the United Kingdom. And this college received an application for training from a young man who was absolutely convinced that God was calling him to work in Turkey. And when he was asked why, he said that it was because everywhere he went, he saw Turkish delight. And he took this as a sign from God. Now, some of those who interviewed him said that it was just as well that it wasn't Mars bars. (laughs) Or he might perhaps have been committing himself to be the first ever interplanetary missionary Now, you might say, impossible. Cannot be true. Well, listen to this. A fellow student at art college with Elaine, uh, known also to me, once went and spent a summer working in Israel. Because this was her reason, she said, every time she opened the Bible, the word Israel kept jumping out at her. And she felt that was God speaking to her absolutely amazing. I mean, it's quite difficult to open the Bible without being confronted by Israel. And incidentally, I don't think this will come as much of a surprise to many of you when I tell you that though that girl had a a wonderful summer in Israel, she did, yet she is not now actively walking with God or in any way, in any kind of committed relationship with the people of God. But you know, at least there's a a funny side to those kind of stories. However, there is so much about guidance, about the practice of guidance in the church of today that's far from funny. Dangerous errors in teaching, serious misunderstanding by many Christians of just what guidance actually entails. Yes, and and fear Fear in the heart of some Christians. And so often the most committed and sensitive-hearted Christians who live in a a terrible fear that somehow, somewhere, they'll miss out on God's will. They'll miss out on God's perfect plan for their lives. And so therefore, for the rest of their lives, they'll live out a second-rate Christianity. A second-rate Christian life that's displeasing to God and out of the center of God's will. And all of this, you see, is happening at a time in history when Christians are concerned about guidance to the point, almost some would say, of being besotted about guidance in a way that's never really ever been known before to the extent that one writer, Joseph Bailey, can make what I believe is a, is a perceptive comment when he says that if there is a serious concern among Christian students today, it is for guidance. 
holiness may have been the passion of another generation of Christian young men or women, or soul winning, or evangelizing the world, but not today. Today the theme is getting to know the will of God. Now all of this, these errors and misunderstanding, the present besottedness of so many Christians with this subject of guidance, all of this, I believe, underlines the fact that there is something seriously wrong in mainstream Christianity about the whole subject of guidance. And yet, and yet, the Bible does tell us that as believers we should expect to be guided by God. For example, Psalm 32 verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Isaiah 30 verse 21. Whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. And so a a sane, sober-minded, first-class theologian like Jim Packer, he can write, It is impossible to doubt that guidance is a reality intended for and promised to every child of God. Christians who miss it thereby show only that they did not seek it as they should. It is right, therefore, to be concerned about one's own receptiveness to guidance and to study how to seek it. So then, in the Bible... We are promised guidance and we are urged to seek it. But again, back to what we said earlier, there seems to be so much wrong thinking and wrong practice in this whole area today. So how do we sort it all out? How do we sort it out? Well, that's what I'm going to try and do with you over the next few weeks. Sort out together what the Bible actually teaches about guidance. Not what we would perhaps like it to teach, but what it actually does teach. Now, along the way, you might find me at times appearing to demolish a few well-loved formulas for guidance. That's what I say now. Don't let that scare you. Hold on to the end. Like on some of those uh, TV home improvement programs, I intend to use the material that's been demolished to build something better and far more substantial. And my hope is that at least for some of you, I will be able to help clarify your understanding of guidance and maybe even able to share with you new things about guidance. For I think this is a fascinating subject. I pray that God will just give me the clarity of of thought that will just enable me in some way to communicate something of that with you. Now, in the coming weeks, I want to to look at things with you like, how do we find the will of God? Also, I want to look at controversial issues in guidance. And also at some of the big guidance decisions that we might have to make. But, you know, I firmly believe... I hope the windows aren't falling in. But anyway, I firmly believe that if we're going to sort a problem out, then we've, we've got to start by getting to grips 
with the root cause. So, having looked at this then, I now firmly believe that that many of our guidance problems lie in a misunderstanding of just what the nature of God's will actually is. And so today then, the question I want to begin by exploring with you is, what is God's will? What is God's will? When we talk about the will of God, that is, what, what actually are we talking about? Now, you might be thinking, well, he's not trying very hard this morning because it's pretty obvious what the will of God is. That's pretty simple, pretty easy. That God's will is what he wants to be. It's as simple and straightforward as that. But is it really that straightforward? Is it? Well, let's have a a look and see. And one of the first things that I believe we discover is what, as we look at what the Bible really says about the will of God, is that there are two different Greek words, both underlying what in English is translated as will, God's will. Now, one of these words, bully, I think it is, I'm not very sure of my Greek pronunciation, but is what we would more often call the sovereign will of God. You see, this refers to the fact that God reigns supreme over everything. That what he wants to happen will happen. That ultimately nothing can stand in God's way. This is inflexible, predetermined, and while it's used in a number of different contexts, it's almost invariably used in relation to the the big events, the big incidents of biblical history. For instance, in talking of the the death of Jesus in Acts 2.23, It says there that this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose. That is, bully and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. Now, of course, in this world that we live, where all is distorted by by sin and by evil, it's sometimes very difficult to see how the will of God can possibly be being done. As we are caught up, as we have been this week, in the midst of human suffering and human tragedy, and sometimes our own suffering and tragedy, it's sometimes very difficult to see how God's hand in any way can be upon this, how he can possibly bring good from this. Now, as we look back, sometimes we can see. Not always, But sometimes we can see the signs that show truly that God has been at work in our circumstances. But you know, as as Sonnen Kierkegaard once put it, while life can only be understood backwards, the trouble is it has to be lived forwards. So as as we then try to, to reconcile the truth of God's sovereign will with reality as we experience it now, there is at times, inevitably, a degree of mystery. As we, men and women, with our our limited, finite minds, as we try to understand and discern what an infinite, sovereign, almighty God is doing, what His will is for our lives and for our world, always there is mystery. 
But you know, as we look to the cross, as we saw what human evil and sin did there, and then as we remember of the glory of the resurrection, we know that a God of such love, a God of such almighty power, that he can be trusted. Even when we cannot see, when we cannot understand, he can be trusted. So that then is, is one dimension of what the Bible means when it talks about the will of God. The sovereign, predetermined, fixed, and also so often hidden, secret will of the Lord. But there is also another Greek word that in precisely the same way is translated by us into English as will. Now, now this word is the word thelema. And this word, because of its background and because of the different context in which it is found, it actually means something slightly different. Putting it as, as simply as we can, thelema has a bit more given it. It's still God's command, it's still God's will, but it's a will that looks for a response. Indeed, it's a will that needs a response if it's to be fulfilled. Now, now where this word is used is in regards to God's moral will. That is, God's will as to the behavior, as to the lifestyle, as to the spirituality of his people. Like, for instance, an example... It's the will of God that his people grow in holiness. It's the will of God that his people do not live in sin. It's the will of God that we don't covet, steal, gossip, lie, or engage in immoral relationships. It's the will of God that his people are not angry, proud, or jealous. Now this is the will of God that's talked about, or at least at times hinted at in places like Psalm 40, verse 8. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Or Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 again, we read earlier. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. There's that response. And he will make your path straight. You see... It's the will that's, that's to do with the, the working out of our salvation. It's to do with our, our growth into Christ-likeness, into holiness. As, for example, Paul says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Now, the, the key point I think that we need to take note of regarding this particular aspect of God's will is that it's never hidden. It's never concealed. There's no mystery about this will. No, this will is out there in the open. It's there for all to see, and it's there only to be obeyed. But the problem is, as R.C. Sproul uh, a really first-class American Bible teacher, as he puts it, the problem is that one of the great tragedies of contemporary Christendom 
is the preoccupation of so many Christians with the secret will of God to the exclusion and neglect of the known will. We want to peek behind the veil to catch a glimpse of our personal future. We are more concerned with our horoscope than with our disobedience. More concerned with what the stars in their courses are doing than with what we are doing. For it is easier to engage in ungodly prying into the secret will of God than to apply ourselves to the practice of godliness. I want to say, I, I believe that's true. That many Christians today are so busy searching for the will of God that they cannot know, even that they perhaps should not know, that they don't get down to actually doing the will of God that they do know. Because you see, they think that's kind of humdrum. That's beneath them. That's just routine. That, that they're too spiritual to be bothered with these simple and elementary things. But how wrong that is. How wrong. And how unbiblical. Deuteronomy 29, 29 puts it in this way. The secret things belong to the Lord. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children that we may follow all the words of this law. And you see, the, the, the truth of the matter is, and this is something we're going to really develop and build on a fair bit in the coming weeks, the truth of the matter is that it's as we do this, it's as we seek to obey God's will that's clearly revealed to us in His Word, that word, that, that will that's to do with morality and, and living the Christian life. Well, it's by doing this, you see, that we then develop the kind of Christian mind and Christian character that will then enable us to see and to be almost, in a sense, naturally led into the will of God that's not so clear. You see, it's then that we'll be able to see God's way as we've got that character and mind built up by daily obedience that we'll be able to see God's way in those difficult decisions, those big decisions that we've got to make. Anyway, if you've got it so far, I hope you have, that, is that, that what we have to understand is that there are two different dimensions, two different aspects to the will of God. There is God's sovereign will, which is predetermined, fixed, irresistible, and often hidden. Then there is God's moral will. There is His will for our behavior, for our lifestyle, for our spiritual conduct. This being a will that needs a response to be fulfilled. A clearly revealed will that can be broken, that can be disobeyed, but also a will that as we obey it, will lead us into, certainly at least towards His will, in every area of life, every part of our life. Well, finally, let's get down to the real nitty-gritty by looking just for a few moments at God's will and the individual. And just let me acknowledge here before I begin that I've learned so much 
in this particular area from, from Derek Tidball, from his comments in, in his book, How Does God Guide? And let me recommend that to you as an excellent, readable little book on guidance. But when we think about God's will for the individual, when we think about God's will for us, we normally think, don't we, like we suggested at the very beginning, we think about a, a fixed, predetermined plan that God has set out for us. A plan that if we in any way wander from it, then leaves us in a space of spiritual wilderness. Yes, one step out of place at a strategic time, and then we believe that could be us from that moment on, reduced to an irretrievable, substandard Christianity for the rest of our lives. I want to tell you that the facts are that the Bible does not use the phrase will of God in this kind of way. Not in relation to the life of an individual. It doesn't. It just doesn't. But how does this fit in with our belief, the Bible's teaching, that, that God guides us and directs us through life? Well, he does guide us and he does direct us, but not in the sense that he sets out some rigid plan for our lives and then kind of standing by, leaving us to get on with it, washing his hands of us, particularly if we get things wrong, just letting us go. Now, I believe rather the way that God guides is by being intimately involved in our lives and all the decisions we make. And in case some of you maybe think I'm being a bit theologically suspect here, then let me tell you that someone no less than Calvin said, he said, the providence we mean, speaking of that is of God's care and of God's guidance of our lives, is not one by which the deity sitting idly by in the heavens looks on at what goes on, at what is taking place in the world, but one by which he, as it were, holds the helm and overrules all events. Now, now do you see what this means? Do you see the implication of this? This doesn't make God less. I believe it makes God greater. It means that in each decision that we're faced with in life, each decision that, that we make in our life, it means that God's there and God is involved. Now be clear here, we can make right choices. We can make wise decisions. And that's what we should do. That's great. And that will bring God glory and that will bring blessing into our lives. That's the way we want to go. But listen to this. When we make wrong choices, when we make foolish decisions, our God is such that in his sovereign overruling power, he is such that as we come to him in repentance and brokenness, our God is able to take even these decisions those chapters and episodes of our life. And he's able to take even these and use them for his purposes. There might be pain and heartache involved for us. Often there will be. But God can and will use these things. But you see, again, the significance of this. This picture 
of a God who every step along the way is intimately involved in our lives. This idea, this concept of a God who is able to sovereignly overrule all things. See what it means? This means that when we choose wrongly, that when we do foolish things, it means that this God doesn't wash his hands of us. This God isn't finished with us as far as a fully effective Christian life is concerned. I don't believe the God of the Bible, the God who sent Jesus for us, deals with his children like this. No, I believe that always, all we are is one true from the heart prayer of repentance away from the center of God's will. And I believe it's because we've got a great God that this is true. I believe that it's because of the power and the love of our sovereign God, our Heavenly Father, that this is true. Now for me, this is an understanding of guidance that, that just ties in with the vision of the greatness of our God that we find in the Bible. Whereas the idea of a God who's got some kind of fixed plan that we're not permitted at any time in any way to deviate away from, Well, Packer again says for me all there is to be said about this. And this is what he says. That this is a twisting of truth. That our fallen minds with their legalistic bias and their inclination to to view God as an ogre easily fall into. Satan, who loves to misrepresent God and to make him seem ugly actively sponsors it. But that's the beginning of what I want to to say to you about the will of God. And if this morning you take nothing else out of what I've said, I hope you'll take away with you these two things. That God's will isn't something you should fear. You shouldn't be afraid that you might miss out on it and so miss out on what God has for you. I tell you no. If you're open to God in your heart, then be sure that God will get you to where he wants you to be. You might take some wrong turns. You might make some mistakes. Keep on following God and he will get you where he wants you to be. And also, second thing, don't sit around waiting for God to reveal the obscure, to reveal the fine detail of his will for your life before you get moving. Don't do that. Obey his will that you know. Obey his will regarding his desire for your holiness, his desire for your spiritual growth and maturity, his desire that you live a lifestyle that's honoring to him. Obey that will that you know. And you'll soon find yourself In every sense, I believe, right at the center of his plan, of his will for your life. And so may we then, each one of us, as we live in his will, do what we should. And that is bring glory to his name. Let's come and pray together. Father, we just want to thank you just that you're just a greater God so than we can imagine. Sometimes 
just this world's thinking, our own sinfulness, our own weakness, we tend to make you smaller than you are. But Lord, you're great and you're mighty. And you're loving and you're powerful. And you are our Father. You love us. And you want to lead us into your will. And though we in our human weakness and frailty sometimes take wrong turnings, we make mistakes, we sometimes even rebel against you. But Father, where there is real repentance, where there is a real turning back to you, where there is a real desire to live for your glory, Lord, we know that you will lead your people again into your will. And you'll do that because you love us. Because we're your children. And we thank you for that now. In Jesus' name. Amen.